Hi there, and welcome to Higher Self Leadership, a podcast focused on bringing you inspiration and tangible, actionable techniques and methods to help you anchor in your higher self into your human leadership on this earth. I am your host, Brian Elise Miller. And I am so excited to finally record this flipping podcast (laughs) and dive into this work with you. I am so committed to keep showing up here. This podcast is something that I have wanted to do for years and years. I've started and stopped. I've recorded episodes with dear friends that are sitting in folders somewhere on Google Drive and... I know just enough about how to edit podcast recordings to be dangerous. Here I am creating a space for this in 2023 to really share my voice and my experience. And I'm not going to let anything hold me back from doing this anymore. And what that looks like is... This is not going to be the most perfect vocal you've ever heard in your life, the highest quality podcast, the best mix, the most amazing intro song, the most well thought out articulated marketing strategy around it. I am making this as simple, as easy, and as frictionless as possible for me because that's what I'm all about these days. How can there be more ease in this process? And that means you might hear my dogs in the background. In fact, they might decide to wake up and bark. You might hear the air purifier or the water cooler in my living room because that's where I'm sitting right now. And honestly, this vocal might sound like crap because I'm in a super echoey room. And despite all those things, I am moving forward, I'm moving through, and we are doing this podcast once and for all. Here we fucking go. Now, I definitely have an intro episode in mind to tee up all of the beautiful reasons why we are going to gather in this space together and I'm going to share with you. But what I'm feeling really compelled to talk about today is contemplation. Contemplation is the meta skill that has unlocked my own ability to transform, to alchemize my shadows, to integrate experiences that totally blow the doors off of my perception and to become a new version of myself every single moment of every single day. These patterns that no longer serve me, attachments to identities and roles that I no longer want to hold on to anymore, that are making things hard, that are keeping me in pain and suffering, I'm going to turn those into glittering gems. I'm going to turn my shadows into superpowers. And how? Through the practice and skill building of contemplation. I have spent... The majority of my career and in at least the last nine years, designing programs, trainings, and facilitating sessions that help other people shift their mindsets, change their habits, reform their identities, see themselves in the world differently, and build skills. 
and what I think is one of the missing key ingredients to actually changing how we show up in life is that we actually don't have the skills that we need to be the new versions of ourselves that we are trying to merge into. There is endless advice out there about what we should do and how we should do it and how to be in the world. And very little exists to actually help you cultivate and build and practice, practice being the key word here, skills that help you over time become a naturally embodied new version of yourself. And now let me just say, I don't want us to attach to any identities here, to any roles here. In fact, I think, and I will hold this true for as long as it makes sense to me, that the Yoda move, the real Jedi trick here is to not be attached to any certain specific consistent way of being or identity or role. The real Jedi trick here is to practice non-attachment to all of it, to be able to have every single option and possibility for how we respond to life, to other people in our relationships, to the situations that we're in, unlimited choice for how we respond. And alignment with our higher self in the present moment, such that we can choose how we respond in a way that feels good, it feels true, it feels authentic to us, and honestly, it is fueled and rooted and grounded with love and peace, not fear. And so what we're about here is making friends with the ego, bringing up everything from our unconscious, our subconscious space right now, which is like 90 to 95% of where all of our thinking, our mind as a concept comes from. It's not this conscious uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, cognitive brain that we think is making all these decisions and how we show up in life. The majority of what drives you and what drives most people right now, 95% of that lies in your subconscious. You are not consciously aware of it. And until we actually can bring those things into awareness so that we can examine, allow them to exist, work with them, embrace them, and see them for the amazing alchemical tools that they are. We cannot be authentic. We are not operating from our soul's core essence in this life. And honestly, <laughs> the more and more and more work I do, I keep coming back to two core purposes for my work right now in this next horizon of my life. And one is proactively waging peace. It is actually being peace and anchoring that frequency in the world through my physical body, through mastery of emotion, through my contemplation practices and my relationships and how I relate with everyone, including myself, through radical responsibility for how I perceive the world and interact with it as a result. And two, this concept of higher self-leadership and anchoring the divine core soul essence of yourself 
too, this beautiful, glorious, and complex human vehicle that you are in as a being in this life, in the material plane on earth. And doing that really, really requires that you do the work to understand this human vehicle. Because the human vehicle is 100% your interface for living in this life and experiencing this existence. Your soul, your higher self is only able to experience this life through this vehicle. And right now, for the majority of people on this planet, the vehicle is really what's in control. It's not just that their higher self is experiencing life through the vehicle. The higher self is not awake. It's not online. It's not allowed to express and show up and make choices and guide and create alignment and authenticity. And as a result, you can see we are all in collectively such a fear-based, ego-driven consciousness that is patriarchal and hierarchical and filled with lack and scarcity and war and fighting and protection. And doing the work of building a bridge between your human body experience vehicle and your higher self allows you to Bring all of the pain and the suffering that you have been and all of the fear that you have been hiding, suppressing, ignoring, kind of tucked away, locked behind all of your armor and cages you don't want the world to see. It allows you to bring all of those items to the surface with love, with compassion, with grace, with forgiveness in a way that the gifts the information, the keys and the codes inside of every single one of those parts of yourself, those shadows, the gifts can emerge. And when the gifts can emerge, we turn our lead into gold. We take that dusty, dirty old coal that we've been hiding in in the basement and we allow it to be turned into glittering diamonds. And that's the work that we'll be doing here through the Higher Self Leadership Podcast, through the Muse and Method Substack, which is where you're accessing this content, trying to make this as easy as possible for you to have one place where you can get all of the content I'm producing and creating and in working with me, Brian, on things like strange magic journeys and beautiful boundaries and the concept of higher self-leadership. I plan to offer a lot of programs and mentorship that really bring these concepts down to earth in such a tangible way that we bring our higher selves online and we allow our higher selves to make friends with our human being. I'm sure I will share on a later episode where I have received this insight and these downloads around the higher self being and the human being and how they are two distinct beings that are in cooperation with one another on this earthly experience and how for a lot of people, the human being is really what is running the show. 
the operating system of self-preservation and fear and being totally run by emotion and illogical, unreasonable thinking that is just full of distortion and illusion is, is what's happening across the planet. Uh, and the work that we're going to do here together is to really help the human being and the higher self being collaborate and co-create a life together where they both benefit. They both get to step into peace and love and abundance. And I know I talked a lot about skills in the beginning of this. I really want to dive into what I feel like is, I guess you could call it a set of skills. It's not one skill. This concept of contemplation. Contemplation is something that I think most people think about like meditation or it's a form of prayer. They think it's, you know, a stillness practice and it definitely can be. Um, but I would say most people probably view it as being a mental practice. And to a large extent, I think that is how most people have been practicing contemplation. In fact, even when they're doing something physical, like the act of gardening or or yoga, or something like that, which opens space up for contemplation, it probably still is a mental practice. Now, what I'm going to share here is that there are three distinct levels of contemplation as a practice, mental, emotional, and physical. And I, I first want to share, pause here for a second, because a lot of the concepts I'm going to share here today are actually from the book written by Gene Key's originator, Richard Rudd, called The Art of Contemplation. I highly recommend you go to Amazon and you buy a copy of this book, The Art of Contemplation by Richard Rudd. It is a tiny little book full of wisdom. And when I read this book a couple of years ago for the first time, I was just blown away because it put language to what I had been doing. For a couple of years, I had been on a spiritual path and doing things like ayahuasca and, you know, all the things that <laughs> many spiritual seekers do that leave us with these experiences that either we can file away in a folder and we never talk about them or think about them again that totally blow the doors off of our minds, or we can work with these experiences to actually integrate them and bring them into our human lives. And I had been doing the latter for several years. I had been taking experiences that I had and really working on how does this show up in my daily life as a human on this earth? How can I work with this idea or concept? How do I embody this version of myself that I have seen in these experiences and I was doing that work. And I think it became, it was, it was pretty natural for me. I, I, I will chalk it up to the decade that I have spent diving into personal development and habit change and behavior change and psychology and how to rewire the brain and <laughs> deliberate practice. All these concepts that I had been using for work really gave me such a foundation for how to do integration and transformation work. And so I was achieving a lot 
in terms of integration. But it wasn't until I read this book, The Art of Contemplation, that I had the process really shown and mirrored and reflected to me of, oh, this is what you've been doing this whole time. Now look, there's somebody that's showing you exactly what it is. Oh my gosh, now you can grab onto this concept. Now you can use it more consistently and reliably. And now you can also share it with other people where it felt so intangible to me before it was something I was naturally doing. How can I share this with other people? Now it was like, okay, now I have the tool. Now I'm armed with the right language and the structure and the framework to help other people do the same thing that I have been successfully doing to bring my spiritual learnings, to bring my subconscious realizations into conscious awareness and to merge with them in a way that I am constantly transforming and evolving in my life. So this practice, this mental, emotional, and physical contemplation practice has allowed me to create so much more inner spaciousness. I have cultivated the ability to really change and transform, to integrate new information into my body, into my being, Uh, It has created the space for me to be able to work with my body in a new way, to regulate my nervous system, to connect more with my heart. And really, it has been such a process of returning home to myself and knowing who I am more, being more in alignment with my true, my higher self, my actual core essence that was present before I started to hide aspects of myself, dim my light, not show certain parts of me in certain situations, right? Before I developed all of my defense mechanisms and protections at an early age, that core me. Through contemplation, I have been remembering and coming back to that core me more and more and more. And it definitely has been a lot of work. I would say it's a struggle, it's a challenge, it's character building, right? And it's not without its tears and low moments. And without those, though, and without accepting those and finding pure unconditional love and forgiveness and holding space for myself and doing the reparenting work, I wouldn't be able to have the highs. I wouldn't be able to experience the joys with the sorrows the love with the grief, and it's it's just been such a beautiful practice. So I will stop rambling on now and share with you what actually is contemplation. And I've actually created a series on Instagram that kind of summarizes this, but I wanted to come on and talk about it a little bit more. I wanted to share more of my experience in a way that wasn't bound to me putting together a Canva graphic or trying to write words in the most perfect phrasing, which I keep (laughs) deleting and rewriting and deleting and rewriting. So speaking it seems like the best way to do this. Contemplation is, according to me and according to Richard Rudd in this book I mentioned, a gentle path to wholeness. Now, you will hear me talk a lot about the Gene Keys if you listen to this podcast. The Gene Keys is an ancient wisdom that's synthesized in a modern way 
that I have just been diving into for years now, and it's really, really been a tool to transform my life and my consciousness. It really is a set of collective archetypes of consciousness that all humans contain. And if we examine and contemplate and work with each of these 64 different gene keys, we can raise up from the depths of our subconscious, our shadows, allow the gifts from them to emerge and really start to anchor in new divine gifts in the world called cities that are just a totally different energy frequency akin to bridging heaven to earth right now as we're living it. Written by the same author as The Art of Contemplation, Richard Rudd, The Gene Keys. So The Gene Keys is really interesting because it requires a very different approach to most personal development and most seeking and learning that we do in this very masculine, linear, goal-oriented, outcome-focused world and reality that we are all sharing right now. So the Gene Keys and Contemplation as skill, as a skill set, require a different approach. This is a gentle path to wholeness, as I mentioned. It is an ongoing practice and set of skills for you to develop and use throughout your life almost on a consistent basis. It just becomes a new operating system for you running in the background that replaces your self-preservation, fear-based current operating system for many people. What does a gentle path look like? Well, (laughs) it looks like being gentle, really allowing things to occur for you, allowing emotions to come through, allowing thoughts to persist, allowing ways of being to continue to happen, even if you feel like they're not desirable. Gentle to me really opens up the door for compassion and grace for yourself, empathy for yourself, acceptance, non-attachment. Another key to working with contemplation as a practice is patience. Now, I've just contemplated one of the gene keys uh, that really focuses on patience. And (laughs) it really outlines that we can have a couple different types of patients. We can have impatient patients, which just means we're waiting. Like we are we are still upset. We are still impatient. We are tamping our toe and looking at our watch even though we are waiting and we think that we're being good by waiting, but really we're not being very tolerant in this patience. And then there's deep patience. And deep patience is when we start to experience actual patience in the cells of our body. There is no hurry. There is no forcing time. There is a recognition that there are patterns playing out that are so much bigger than you or I or what is going on in traffic or (laughs) our work or our jobs right now or our lives right now. And it is trusting in the timing of things that are much bigger than us. 
and not worrying, not fretting, not trying to control and create the timeline, but just simply surrendering and being part of the pattern, the cycle, the timeline. This is where we get to with deep patience. Contemplation as a practice requires deep patience. Now, I've given you gentle and patience, and you're probably thinking to yourself, like, holy shit, not only is contemplation a whole set of skills, which I don't know yet, but uh, I'm not sure how to be gentle, and I definitely don't have patience, so (laughs) where do I even begin with this? I'm not expecting that you do. These things are not things that are taught to us at all in this lifetime. This is such a missing curriculum for the modern human. And I think we can look around and see how much it's missing. Hold space for yourself here with grace. There are a lot of skills to develop if we want to be more loving and heart-centered and anchor our higher selves into our human beings. A lot. And so I ask you right now to check that impatience, to check the pressure of building all these skills at once and to simply hold space for yourself and allow that to come through without judgment. Because as I'm talking about patience, you're probably getting overwhelmed and impatient. (laughs) So just notice that and allow it to pass through you. Don't attach to it. Don't create pain and suffering for yourself by attaching to that feeling of impatience, that feeling of potential overwhelm. Just allow it to pass through you. Now, another set of skills or a way of approaching contemplation and doing this work is inquiry. Now, this is really where we are curious about things without having to be attached to answers. So we're not necessarily seeking solid knowledge here through our inquiry. We are not asking questions so that we get to certainty or to know something or to have facts and figures here. Again, very different from the societal approach that we currently live in. Here, instead, inquiry is used very gently. We're inviting with curiosity The ability to honestly examine what is going on inside of us so that we can take a look at it with practice over time without a reaction, without judgment, and without attachment. And inquiry helps us do that. Inquiry helps us contemplate because it allows us to ask questions that lead our minds into a new direction. But we don't have to know the answers. This is simply about asking the questions. Now, that's all I'll share about kind of the the, the overarching feeling behind contemplation. It is a soft approach, an ease-filled approach. It's not hurried. It's not focused on an outcome. It is not like contrast, like let me contrast here. It's not like a concentration where there's a particular problem and you're trying to focus to find a solution. Contemplation is, is kind of on the other end of the spectrum. It allows you to have just a very open inquiry that's continuous. You're not constantly focused on it in your mind. 
there's play involved with inquiry and gentleness where when you're working with a concept, you can think about it from time to time and then you let it go and you continue on with your day and then maybe it arises again later in the day or a month later, a week later, whenever it comes back again. It's a really different way of using your mind. And in fact, Einstein really focused on creating and cultivating this way of operating in the world. He called it having a prepared mind. And this is how people that are really creative stumble upon ideas and insights and ahas and uh, have those light bulb moments is they use the practice of contemplation where they have short bouts of focusing on something or, or thinking about a concept and then they let it go and they go about their day and they're in the shower and boom, they're <laughs> confronted with an idea or a new way of seeing things that they hadn't thought of before. And that's because they kind of set up their mind to go to work on solving something or go to work on contemplating something, but they weren't forcing it. They created space. There were pauses in what they were doing. And then their mind that was prepared and ready whenever the moment would strike or when they would get that source of inspiration. So this is a little bit like that. Now, This is a huge process of working with the ego patterns and beliefs and identity patterns and beliefs. And here's what contemplation will help you do. It will help you release your reliance on your mind only and your intellect. So earlier I said uh, knowing things and having certainty and facts and figures and being able to prove things. That's such a focus in our current culture That's not what contemplation is really here to help you with. It's actually here to soften that and to remind you that as a human being, no matter how much you think you do know something, you actually know nothing. (laughs) You know nothing because probably the thing that you feel really certain about that you know is actually all just part of the illusion of the bigger mind anyway. So We are going to release reliance on mind and intellect. The other thing that this brings forward is the ability for us to have authority and decision-making that is distributed in our body and in our being that isn't just focused on the rational, logical mind because that's not actually the best decision-making tool in our human being toolkit. The mind is really great at storing, organizing information, and like creativity, it's not really great at decision making. It's really good at coming up with the reasons and excuses as to why a decision was made. It's not the great decision maker. And what is a great decision maker really varies by person. That's a human design concept, and I'm not going to get into that. But being able to find your own intuition and inner alignment with making decisions, very different topic, not for today, but In contemplation, what we're going to find is there's a softening here around the mind being the thing that is, quote unquote, in control of you. It's also going to open up new pathways of awareness, like I'm talking about. You're going to tap more into intuition, into instinct. You're going to access more inner wisdom through contemplation in the mind, in the emotion, and in the physical body. We are in this human being vehicle that has several layers of body in this life. The actual physical, the mind, the emotional, the 
<laughs> causal body, the bliss body, all these layers, your aura, your energetic field, all of these things are information processing <laughs> tools. They are perception and awareness tools. And whether you are aware that they are operating or not, they are. And they are processing so much more information in any given microsecond than you are pulling in through your eyeballs and into your brain. So we're going to open up to more wisdom and access more inner wisdom also through that subconscious that we've been talking about that isn't currently available to you. We're going to create new neural pathways. So we talk a lot about how contemplation helps us access and bring awareness to the current operating system that we're in. But what it also does is it creates a pathway for us to actually rewire our operating system at a DNA level, a cellular level, and also a, a brain and body level where we're actually going to create new synapses and new neural pathways and create new grooves and patterns and how we can show up and the choices that we have. Contemplation will help you bring more inner and outer balance in your life. So more alignment with your inner values, your inner core sense of self, that higher self we were talking about, and this external earth-based reality that we're in. Over time, you're going to have more and more and more alignment between these things. And as a result, you are going to feel much more grounded have more sense of belonging, safety, and unconditional love rooted in your body that you generate yourself as opposed to seek externally. And you're going to be authentic no matter how you are showing up in the moment because you're aligned with those things. It's going to help you cultivate a sense of presence. I cannot speak enough about this idea of presence. So presence meaning like your actual being Having the attention and awareness of the present moment that you are in. Because here's the key, folks. The present moment is the only creative moment that you have. And when I say creative moment, I mean the present moment creates a future. And the only time where you can create the future and shape the future is in the present moment. And most of us do not live in the present moment. Most of us are living in the past. We're bringing the past into the present moment. So we're replaying the past. Sometimes we are bringing, dragging the future into the present. Instead of shaping it, we're actually fretting about it. And so not creating the future that we want. And all this time, we're not actually in the present moment with full presence. So this really gets at being present in the now moment, but also having a being of presence where you have stillness and space in that moment and the resilience and bandwidth to make choices that allow you to co-create the future that you want. It's going to help you find your virtues, your values, and your unique genius. Earlier, I mentioned the version of me that was before defense mechanisms and conditioning and hiding certain parts of myself and all of this. That like little child version of us that comes into this life is pure and beautiful and filled with love. And unfortunately, our self-preservation operating system takes over quite early before our minds are developed as humans. 
And it can like really derail that original beauty, that original genius that uniquely existed in each one of us. Contemplation helps us remember and return back to that and bring it forward in a very different embodied way now. Finally, it can help us recalibrate our nervous system because I mentioned we're going to focus on mental, emotional, and physical contemplation. And in order to be actually able to have those practices take place in a productive way, we have to cultivate a body that allows us to be still, to rest, to embody patience and peace, to notice what's going on within ourselves, to regulate our breath, to connect with breath in general, uh, to notice sensations in our body, to regulate whether we are in fight or flight or freeze or fawn or any of these reactions that are happening. So contemplation will really help you regulate your nervous system and recalibrate it. And finally, it will help you be your purpose. Your purpose is something that you actually embody in this lifetime. It is a way of being in the world that you radiate. It is not something that you need to seek outside of yourself. Dear Lord, (laughs) it's not something that you do or a job that you have. Certainly things that you do or jobs that you take on can be an expression of this beingness that is unique and beautiful to you. But contemplation will help you really find fulfillment because you will reconnect that the being of you, that only you can be, is your purpose. Okay, that's a lot. That's what practicing contemplation will help you do. Now let's dive a little bit into like what, what, how do you do this? Okay, so (laughs) what and how do you do this? The first thing we're going to focus on is what to contemplate. So this might feel like a lot. I'm like, where do I even begin with this? So Let's start from the process of what to contemplate. You can choose a couple of different sources, right? Like, honestly, everything in life is fodder for contemplation now that I've gotten into this practice. Like, literally everything. Like, I'm contemplating uh, symbolism of the pearl gem. I'm also contemplating animals symbolism. I'm contemplating certain words for the year. I'm working with jinkies. There's so many things you can contemplate. And easily, I think it can get overwhelming. And so here's some guidance on where to begin your contemplation practice. If you choose something that inspires you, let's say an ancient wisdom system or the beauty of a certain flower or uh, a particular book or poem that you have read that has just really resonated with your soul, something specific aspect in that. If you choose something that inspires you, contemplating this concept will actually expand and elevate you and your consciousness. Another option is to choose something that challenges you. So here, for example, something that currently triggers you, a way a person shows up, Or a certain word. Like for years, the word surrender really rubbed me the wrong way. Because I had associations with it. Like you were giving up. You had lost a fight. All these things like you were not in control. You can see where this is going. (laughs) I won't expand on it further. 
But basically that word was sticky for me. And so I knew I needed to do some work with that word because it seemed to have so much power when I even just thought about it, let alone said it or tried to practice with it. So I was like, okay, there's work there. That is an example of something that challenges you. So for example, that word surrender, I would contemplate with that word or a particular situation where someone triggers you or something that you have a judgment around or you have a reaction around that kind of throws you off your balance and your center. Those are aspects. Those are emotions. Those are concepts that challenge you. And if you contemplate and work with those concepts, those will lead you to more wisdom and clarity. And so there you will understand more what's behind this. Why is it causing pain or conflict in me? What's behind that pain or conflict? And this is where you're really pulling something up from the depths of the subconscious to examine, accept, allow, embrace, and love in yourself again. So that's a, that's a good example. This idea of a word surrender, but you can also use a word to contemplate that you have positive associations with. So for example, a lot of people use a word of the year every year as an intention, or I call this a guide word. And my guide word this year is trust. So I'm constantly thinking about trust. How am I building trust? Do I trust others? How does trust show up in my relationships? I'm also looking at it from the perspective of, am I trusting of the universe and the greater patterns that are happening? Or am I trying to control? Am I trying to design and drive towards something as opposed to allowing things to unfold in the way that they will? And so this concept of trust is an example of a word that you might work with throughout the year. So that that's some in, input in terms of what you can contemplate. You can also contemplate things in your physical world, like I mentioned earlier, like the beauty of a rose and what a rose means and what the life of a rose is like and what you have to learn from that rose and that beautiful ephemeral life of blooming into this gorgeous flower and then immediately wilting and dying only to be pruned back and overwintered and then spring forth in the spring again and grow again and bloom again. What is there in the life of a rose and the perspective of a rose and the beauty of a rose and the attraction of it and the magnetism of it, all those aspects what is there for you to learn in that as a human being in this life? Uh, so things in the physical world are also beautiful to contemplate. And finally, you could use, well, not finally, I have a couple more examples. You could use a limiting belief or behavior pattern that no longer serves you. So I'll share later on in this episode, which is getting quite long, so I might split it into parts, but I have an example that I'm going to share that uh, really pulls through the practice of mental, emotional, and physical contemplation of behavior pattern that I had noticed I was getting feedback on in my work life that was no longer serving me. And that was being so direct, not really incorporating or creating space for other people's ideas and input in meetings. So I would contemplate that. And then again, that's a great example of honestly something that challenges you. 
It's just something that you might not be experiencing as a trigger, but maybe other people are pointing out, hey, this is limiting what your potential is as a leader. And so you're getting feedback on something. So that's another great source of, are you consistently getting feedback in an area or is there an area in your work or your life where you're feeling less than effective, less than ease-filled, things feel hard? What's something in there that you can contemplate and work with? Okay, now finally, <laughs> the last idea of a contemplation source I'll leave you with is a wisdom system. So this could be a book that you read. Like uh, I just read How to Be Loving, which is Danielle Laporte's most recent beautiful book, a lot in there to contemplate. But you could also look at a wisdom system like the Gene Keys that I mentioned earlier or even results from a personality assessment like the Enneagram. And again, not to attach to these things, not to identify with them, but solely to use the beautiful poetic and wise and deep content and concepts present in these wisdom systems or these bodies of work that can help you look at yourself and the world differently through the lens of contemplation. So endless sources, as I've mentioned, it's just where do you want to begin? And the process and practice here is to live a contemplative life. So you always can be contemplating something and it doesn't feel like work. It's actually quite lovely to have this as a practice and a way of viewing the world and a way of being in the world, as opposed to classifying and judging and, you know, scrutinizing everything. We're contemplating. We have inquiry and gentleness with how we're approaching life and concepts and what we're learning. So pause this podcast for a second if you're listening to it and you can do so. If you're not driving, for example, and think for a moment, what is something that you can contemplate? And think about that concept or that item as I go through the rest of this and unfold the rest of this for you. Okay. So you have something that you're working with. Now you don't have to have like the one and only answer, the best answer. Oh my gosh, you don't need to fret over it. Please just pick something that like pops right into your mind. <laughs> something that you're feeling drawn to. Maybe it's something that's showing up in your realm a lot. You know, like for me, the concept of the pearl as an actual physical object, but also as a symbolism is starting to crop up for me this year. And it just keeps coming into my world. I'm not proactively seeking it, but it keeps coming through and I'm noticing it's coming through. So I know there's something in the pearl that has teaching for me. And so that, for example, is something that's just popping into my life. So think about, is there something you want to contemplate, something you need to contemplate, maybe some feedback you're getting or a struggle that you're currently in, or is there something that is offering itself to you, like the pearl is to me, for contemplation? Now that you have something to contemplate, let's talk about how to contemplate. <laughs> So, I mean, we've been dancing around this, but there are specific practices, techniques, and what we'll call confirmations that actually show you that you are on the path of doing this work, okay? The first thing is you you focus your awareness on what you're contemplating. 
but you also allow your awareness to drift on and off of that item and you gently bring it back into focus from time to time. This is what I was talking about earlier with this prepared mind example. So if I'm contemplating the pearl, for example, I'll think about the pearl. I'll think about its qualities. I'll think about the fact that it's my June birthstone, the fact that I got a tattoo of the pearl in 2020 and what that represents and why I got it. I think about the physical attributes of the pearl and how it's almost like holographic in nature, how it's solid, but also seems ethereal. Like I'll think about it from time to time. I may even do some research or read a poem about the pearl or talk to people about the pearl and then I'll let it go. I'm not dwelling on it. I'm not ruminating on the pearl. I'm not trying to force answers or force an understanding of the pearl. I'll think about it from time to time and I'll let it go. And then it'll probably crop back up again into my awareness or I'll consider it again from time to time, maybe in a morning meditation practice, for example, if you have a morning practice. The point here is allowing yourself again to be patient and gentle here. We're not forcing something. We're just allowing our minds to actually engage in play and play with this concept. So no tension, no pressure. And if you can set aside time for it, amazing. If you can create, like I said, a morning practice or time throughout the week where you might contemplate something or, you know, a time where you might sit and look at a beautiful rose, if that's what you were contemplating, create some space for the actual practice to take place. And then we'll get into the techniques associated with mental, emotional, and physical contemplation. And those are pausing, pivoting, and merging. And the confirmations that result out of pausing are insight, pivoting, or breakthrough, and merging as a technique results in epiphany. And that's how we know, oh, our contemplation is going somewhere. Again, not like we're getting a specific outcome or yay, I've done it, I've won the game, but our contemplation is taking us somewhere. It's allowing us to change and evolve and grow and deepen our wisdom. So let me pause here. And we will actually dive into the three practices of contemplation. We'll do this by exploring each of the three practices, mental, emotional, and physical. And the way I'm going to go about this is I'm actually going to share my own experience at each level, working with a particular concept to contemplate. And then I'll share with you kind of like, what, what that looked like, what my story was, and then a little bit more about the technique itself and the confirmation and some key takeaways. So first, mental contemplation. It all begins with mental contemplation. Emotional and physical contemplation kind of spring forward or emerge from or out of the techniques that you create in mental contemplation. Here's what I was contemplating. Earlier in my career, I got a huge amount of feedback, as I was mentioning, about being overly direct and declarative, and this behavior was definitely not serving me as I was trying to become more of a leader in my work, and I had received a lot of feedback from peers, from my boss, and then also my Enneagram assessment that I had taken around that time also gave me some really great insights and results for contemplation. And I 
I knew, okay, yes, like I wasn't personally feeling at the moment like I was suffering because of these behaviors or like I wasn't getting what I wanted because of these behaviors because I was operating out of the unaware, you know, perspective of what got me here is going to get me to the next place I want to go. You know, getting me to the success that I had thus far were behaviors like being direct and declarative and, you know, taking things on and being pushy and bossy and taking control and leading and dominating situations, right, to get stuff done. I was the get stuff done girl. (laughs) And ultimately, the feedback and the Enneagram both gave me a lot of triggered response. (laughs) I was like, one, not really open to hearing this feedback, of course. I was very defensive in the moment about hearing that I was too direct and bossy and what that created as a culture was undesirable. And um, I just thought, these people just really don't get it. Um, (laughs) And in the Enneagram report, that I got from taking that, which if you're not familiar with it, Enneagram is a fantastic and very grounded and beautiful dynamic approach to personality typing that really uncovers core motivations that are related to the defense mechanisms that you take on as a child that are probably still showing up in your life because you're unaware of them and creating this unhealthy expression of you in the world. And the work is to understand them, bring them into awareness, and to move from an unhealthy expression of your Enneagram type to a healthier, more integrated type. And so it provides a pathway for you to understand yourself better and work with some of these things to contemplate. So I was looking at my Enneagram assessment results and recognizing that there were some less than desirable things in this report. And so I started to let that information seep into my body. It wasn't necessarily warmly welcomed and invited in at the time. You know, I did not have the awareness and consciousness of contemplation or that I should, you know, like not be showing up this way if I wanted to get a different outcome and create more leadership in my work and inclusion and actually collaborate with others. I didn't have any of this awareness. Again, contemplation as a concept is something that I discovered much later on this journey. I would say probably six to eight years later on this journey that I was on after I had received this feedback, after I had received the Enneagram assessment. But like I said, contemplation put in words what I actually was naturally doing to work with this information. And though I wasn't super receptive to it at the moment, the fact that I was too pushy and direct and confrontational, I knew that it definitely wasn't getting me what I ultimately wanted, which was to be seen as a leader, to take on more of a leadership role. And I was getting this feedback on how I was showing up that seemed to hold me in place or hold me back from achieving the next level that I desired in my career and in my life. So here's what I practiced. 
I did this in such, looking back on it, I did this in such a mechanical, masculine way. Um, like very much like hacking my behavior now that I look at it. And it, I, I just, I have like a warm heart for how I did this and how it was so very mental contemplation focused at, at first. And I, so I invite you to sit with that also. If you've been trying to change behaviors or shift out of patterns and you've been approaching it in such a mechanical way. <laughs> like, I will replace this behavior with this behavior. This trigger happens, I will insert X habit. Like, it's totally beautiful to start there and just know that there's so much to unfold into, but it, it's just lovely to look back on this. So here's what I was practicing as a, revol- a result of having the information of the feedback and my Enneagram as- assessment results. I was practicing this specific thing. Every time that I was in a meeting, I was usually the first to speak. When other people would speak, I would talk over them and interrupt them. And I often did not give space for others to contribute, to feel heard, especially those that were quiet. I didn't ask for input. And I certainly didn't value the ideas of others as much as I valued my own. And so I was very pushy and confrontational I basically just like took over everything. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to hack this. I'm going to fix this problem of mine. And what I started to do was to create pauses inside of the meetings. And now I look back and say, well, this is actually like a great technique because what I did was I created space for a whole bunch of other contemplation to come in, which I'll share later. But really at the time, if I'm being honest, I was being very mechanical with it. Like I said, like I was being very linear, like, okay, now in a meeting, I will make myself wait until everyone else has spoken before I can speak. That was how I started with it. And I practiced that. Did I always get it right? No. But what it did was it actually manufactured a deliberate pause and inside of that pause, a whole bunch of things took place, which I'll, I'll share as we progress through this example. But unwittingly, I created a giant pause for myself where I prevented my default reaction to come into the situation. Now, I, I certainly, I'm sure, judged myself and did a whole bunch of things that I'm not recommending for you to do here, but... Really, even just that small tweak, that super mechanistic view of I will wait until others speak before I do created space for more self-observation that resulted in more choice for how I got to show up in the meetings. What happened is I started to have insights. So this is the confirmation inside of mental contemplation. I began through observing myself as I was being there quiet and, well, honestly, I was trying to jump out of my seat without jumping out of my seat because I really wanted to interject and say things, but, you know, I I was trying to play it cool. So there was still a lot of heat in my body and all these things, but I, I noticed that I could observe myself more, and this was something that I had not really done before. I was not observing myself at all. I was just acting on impulse and out of reaction. And uh, on default, right? So I was like really, paradoxically, the person that wanted to be in control, I was not in control of how I was showing up at all. 
So I began to notice my thoughts and feelings, sensations in my body. I hear my dog sneezing over here. Bless you, Briscoe. And I had the space also. That was honestly very difficult to work with in the moment. As I remember back on it, like sitting there in the space of noticing all these things and hesitating, keeping myself deliberately from interjecting and diving in and speaking first and interrupting people. It was really freaking difficult for a long time. In this space, I also noticed mm, things happening in my body that I wasn't aware of before, like the fact that I wanted to leap out of my seat, like the fact that my body was hot and I had such an impulse to add my perspective even when what I had to say actually wasn't critical if I reflected on it later. But I just had such an impulse to be heard in the meeting. And so with some practice, I realized that I had been valuing my ideas over those of others, which was definitely not how I wanted to show up as a leader. So this was something that wasn't really clear to me that was a result or an impact of my behavior. I just naturally thought my ideas were great. I didn't realize that thinking my ideas were great and trying to be direct at that time was having the impact of shutting down other people or not allowing them to be a contribution to the work or not allowing them to feel like I thought that they were smart or had good ideas. So this came as an insight through the practice of this pause I was creating and the observations that I had. And this insight then opened the door up to choosing new behaviors that were aligned to my values at the time and not letting my default kind of protection and uh, self-preservation run the show. So even at the time, I... I wasn't super clear on my own personal values. I didn't have alignment to my higher self. I wasn't even thinking about a higher self. I was not spiritual at all at this time. I just wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be an effective leader. I wanted to have success in my job. And so I knew an effective leader, I I had for sure in my mind, an effective leader certainly gets things done and can make decisions with authority like I did. Great, check those boxes. But an effective leader also can lead the team in a way that has them inspired and contributing their best and collaborating and getting the most wisdom out of the group. And that was something that clearly my default was not allowing me to do as a leader. And so I recognized that this insight more about how I wanted to show up, what leadership really meant to me, and how my current behaviors were not allowing that to take place. So let's examine mental contemplation. Now that I've shared that example, how mental contemplation actually works. Here's a quick overview. The technique and mental contemplation is pausing. Actually creating more space and opening the door of time to be able to make your mind an ally as opposed to your enemy. And the confirmation that you're doing that, that the pauses are working, that you're getting somewhere with the pauses, is insight. So like I did in creating an actual pause of not allowing my to, myself to talk until everyone else sit in a meeting, 
I had more space for self-observation. I had a ton of insights around what was going on in my physical being and body throughout that process. And then I was able to see, oh, my behaviors are not actually laddering up to the type of leader that I want to be. Huge insight. Our thoughts and our mind really shape our reality in this human being, earth-based world that we have. And so the more that we can make our mind an ally as opposed to our enemy, that's the key. An enemy I use here in a very kind way. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll say it differently. Let's make friends with our ego. Let's make friends with our fear-based self-preservation operating system, okay? And when we do this, we create space for patterns to be dissolved and shadows to be released. And this is called kind of like silo busting in the Art of Contemplation book. We get to not only create space in which new insights emerge, but we can start to apply insights that allow us to wire new neural pathways we talked about earlier and build new bridges to new patterns, to new behaviors, to new possible choices for how we respond that are much more in alignment with how we want to be and who we want to be and show up in the world. And so really this inner spaciousness allows us to have a lot more clarity there and a lot more choice. The technique of pausing is really fascinating because it presents a paradox for us, which is the more we slow down, the more life appears to expand. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. I'm sure you have in some way, shape, or form. When we get still and slow, we have a lot more presence in the moment. We're in the now moment. It's like that time expands, like an accordion, and everything slows down. This is kind of the difference between someone who is not good at, let's say, volleyball, for example. Like if I would go try to spike a volleyball, me spiking the volleyball, that exact moment when my hand tries to even attempt to hit the volleyball, would happen at such a fraction of a moment it would be infinitesimal and I would have absolutely no awareness or understanding of what was happening in that moment. Basically, I would just be jumping and flailing, probably even having my eyes closed. The moment would be over before it even began and I would have no consciousness, no presence, no ability to choose or react or uh, evolve my technique in the moment whatsoever. Contrast this to someone who has been playing volleyball for a long time, who has great skills spiking the volleyball. When they get up there and they're in mid-jump and the ball is there in front of their hand, it's like a giant pause. It's like time has expanded in there and they have so many choices possible to them. They can fake their other arm. They can choose the direction that they're going to spike the volleyball in. They can, I, I, like any number of things. I'm running out of examples, but it's like time has expanded for that person because they have so much presence and practice at being in that present moment that the window is giant. This is what pausing helps us with in mental contemplation. This is what pausing helped me with when I was sitting in those meetings, not allowing myself to react in the way that I normally would, is it basically expanded time. In that moment, it felt horrible to sit there. It felt like the meetings went on forever because I really wanted to talk. But what was happening was I was creating this spaciousness and more and more and more, 
I developed the skills of self-observation. So at one point I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like having a conversation with myself, right? About what's happening inside of me and what's happening in the meeting and how I can interpret it. Like, whoa, it starts to get really meta there. So what we can do to cultivate pauses is we can harvest the ones that already exist, like natural pauses in our work or days, like, I don't know, we're sitting at a stoplight and traffic, that's a natural pause. Or you set a timer to stop working every 90 minutes and get up and walk around, that's a natural pause. Or, you know, like an easy example is like a fly comes and lands on your arm. That fly is taking a pause on your arm. Like there are natural cycles and pauses where something is ending and something else is beginning in that moment that we can harness that already exist. So consider for a moment all of the natural pauses, the in-between meetings on your calendar, the breaks that you take throughout the day, the morning practice that you have, what are these natural pauses that already exist that you could take advantage of for your contemplation? The other is harnessing unexpected interruptions and pauses. So maybe my dog comes and interrupts me in the middle of recording this podcast or the middle of a meeting and I have to take them outside. Like that's actually a pause that's being kind of interrupted into my life. And oftentimes we can be really annoyed by these interruptions and these unexpected pauses. Like, oh, traffic is really terrible. Now I have to sit here in my car for an extra half an hour. Okay. But that's actually a huge opportunity for contemplation. That's a huge opportunity to harvest that unexpected pause or interruption in your life. And then the third thing that we can do is we can actually create pauses. And this is another way of cultivating here. So in addition to harvesting pauses that exist or rise up without your creating them, you can actively create pauses. Find more stillness in your day. Create more transitions between things. Maybe there's a new ritual that ends your work day and begins your home life at home, whatever that is. Uh, and you can also have moving pauses. It might be gardening. It might be uh, lingering over a cup of coffee in the morning as a pause. It might be taking a different route than you normally would on a walk, whatever it is. Like you, a pause doesn't mean that you're standing still. <laughs> a pause means that you're not doing the thing that you were doing before, or you're actually transitioning in between one thing and the next. Every single pause, I want you to think about this. Every, I mean, contemplate this really. Every single pause is a field of transformation. Every pause is equal to a field of transformation. Pauses in the present moment are where we get to create and shape ourselves, where we get to choose our responses to life, where we get to shape our reality and our future. Every pause is a field of of transformation. Every interruption is a field of transformation. Let that one sink in, in our impatience, right? <laughs> now, what's possible as a result of cultivating pauses and more inner spaciousness is that we start to get more insights. Insights are revelations 
or thoughts that we have about something that were previously hidden from our understanding. So before, when I thought that I was just trying to be less direct and overbearing in meetings, in the practice of pausing and creating space for myself before I could react on default, an insight arose that actually what I was doing wasn't contributing to the type of leader that I wanted to be. And I had a lot more clarity and understanding around how I wanted to show up as a leader. And if I hadn't created the pauses and followed that feedback and engaged in this mental contemplation, I never would have connected with that understanding that it was previously hidden from me. And so again, here's where we start to engage more in this idea of silo busting. We get to apply our insights. So insights are great and they can shoot past us And if we don't grab onto them and contemplate the insights and actually work with them, then they're just information. And it can go in one ear and out the other. It doesn't have to stick to us at all. But if we harness these insights and we work with them, we contemplate the actual insights themselves and work with these concepts in application, we can then start to create bridges to new behaviors, to new choices, and therefore start to wire new neural pathways and create a new operating system for our human being body. And what this does is over time, it creates space for our old patterns to dissolve, our shadows to be released, and we create a whole universe of possibilities and perspectives as a result of new ways of seeing ourselves and the world. So here are the key takeaways from mental contemplation. We pause to create space, inner space and time. And when we have more space, we can see things more clearly. And when we see things more clearly, we begin to have new thoughts, ideas, and perspectives. And insights can emerge. And with these new insights, we can see things differently and then choose different thoughts and actions as a result. So stop for a minute here. Can you think about, is there a time where you've actually engaged in this practice of mental contemplation and you just didn't have the words or the framework to think about it? Can you remember a time where you paused and created space and Has an insight arisen from that practice? Can you think about an insight that you've had that maybe you haven't had time to apply or integrate? And maybe that is something for you to contemplate. And consider how this practice of mental contemplation, the technique of pausing, and the application of insights can help you on your journey to becoming a more authentic version of you, a more resonant, individuated, actualized, amazing, brilliant, genius version of you in this life and how it can help with your higher self-leadership and anchoring that into your human being in this world. This would be a really excellent time. This is quite a long episode. This would be an excellent time for you to pause and consider some of those prompts and actually do a little reflection work before we move on to emotional contemplation as practice. 
we just covered mental contemplation as a practice. Now we're going to move into emotional contemplation. Here again, just to represent what we were using as an example, as I shared earlier, I was working on how I showed up in meetings at work because I started to have, through my insights of mental contemplation, a goal of being more inclusive and open to others' ideas as a leader. So I now had new clarity through my mental contemplation around how I wanted to show up. And I was having some success with pausing, creating more space in the meetings, creating space between stimulus and my reaction. And I was having insights about how my contribution um, was being valued more by me than what my teammates could contribute. And my default way of being and behaviors were definitely not in alignment with how I wanted to show up as a leader. And I was using that technique of pausing and insights and applying them and having some success in creating more space for other people and myself. And then I started to move into this emotional contemplation. Again, at the time, I had no idea I was actually doing this practice. (laughs) It kind of just naturally unfolded as a result of the mental contemplation, which I think is a beautiful example of how this process actually works. Emotional contemplation, the technique, the confirmation that we'll talk about in a moment, actually emerge from the practice of mental contemplation and pausing. Now, here's what was happening. The more pauses I harnessed in the meetings, the more space I created in the moments between a trigger or stimuli and how I responded, I had more choices in the moment for my behavior. And I was doing so much self-observation in those pauses. So when I was sitting quietly and listening to other people and other people were engaging in the meeting and I was waiting my turn kind of impatiently at the moment, I was also engaging in a lot of self-observation. And I had a ton of thoughts racing, of course, but I had also a lot of emotions coming up in my body. And at first, I noticed it was really difficult to choose a different response when I paused. So sometimes I would pause and then I would, I would still just share my, you know, like overbearing directive way of contributing in the meeting just later after everyone else instead of first. <laughs> um, so I, I was just delaying the inevitable reaction, right? But uh, what happened was I, I engaged in this process of pivoting to process my emotions. Pivoting is the technique in emotional contemplation. I'll explain a little bit more about what that is later, but what it allows is an emotional breakthrough. And I want to share the rest of my story and my experience through the lens of the structure of an emotional breakthrough. And an emotional breakthrough has kind of three stages to it or three parts to it. Allow, accept, and embrace. And I'll explain a little bit more, like I said, in a moment, but let me just walk you through how each of these stages presented itself for me. So first was allow. At first, it was really difficult for me to choose a different response, even when I paused. I was starting to feel encouraged by the fact that I was aware of my behavior in the moment. I felt like that was kind of a huge win, and it is a huge win. If you just increase your awareness of how you're behaving and the choices that you're actually making in the moment, that's a huge flipping win, okay? I just want to emphasize that for a moment. 
but I, I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to show up yet. I was still kind of like angry at myself every time I didn't show up in the way I wanted to yet. I had all these expectations. And what I started to notice, though, was that that wasn't helpful. It wasn't helpful for me to create the space for myself to be different and then to judge myself and to be super hard on myself every time that I wasn't able to do that. And so I started to practice just observing and not judging myself in the moment, almost like I was anthropologically studying myself and the reactions that were happening in my body. And what I noticed is I started to become a little bit more detached as an observer. So I could have a conversation, for example, with my egoic self and what was happening. I definitely didn't have the language for what I was doing at the moment. But now that I look back on it, I was creating this kind of detached observer way of looking at myself as I was in these situations. And I started to allow myself to just do what I needed to do. Sometimes that meant that I created space for other people and I didn't have a reactive response. Sometimes that meant I was reactive and maybe I couldn't sit on my hands long enough and I interjected in the meeting earlier than I wanted to. But what I realized here was that it wasn't super helpful for me to judge it. I just allowed it and noticed it. And I started to almost like make... um mental notes or like uh, observer notes in a notebook inside of my being about, okay, noticed that when I wasn't able to hold back on the default reaction that I was feeling this in my body or I was hungry this day. So it was really hard or I was already angry about something else. I was angry at the specific or like I had a conflict with a specific person in the meeting. So I definitely didn't act <laughs> how I would have loved to with them specifically. Like, what were the other factors that were going on? It was just really about allowing what was coming through to come through without judgment. And it, it was it was just observational. The second layer of this is called accept. So we go from allow to accept. Accept is, in, in my experience here with this example, it became easier after practicing and allowing myself to try and try again. And even if I'm failing, try again to behave differently, and I began to accept all of the ways that I was engaging during the meetings because it was really just information. I was actually just studying myself and what had me be able to show up a certain way one day and not the next. And sometimes I was definitely prouder than others in terms of how I showed up in meetings, but I was always trying to remind myself to be patient during this process. Like it's not going to be overnight. I'm trying to kind of tinker with how I show up. As so I looked at it that way, at the time now I can see that I had like a, a big creative mind. So I was very much into experimentation. And I think that's really what allowed me to have this grace for myself because certainly I was judgy as hell <laughs> of other people and I'm sure myself, I was really hard on myself. But for some reason, when I went to work on this particular set of behaviors, I really looked at it like it was an experimental process and practice. It was kind of a creative act to reshape my behaviors and my choices for behaviors in the meetings. And so looking at it like that, meant that it didn't always have to show up perfectly. And so I didn't always have this like out desired outcome I was trying to work toward that I judged myself for when I didn't measure up. 
So this acceptance of, you know, like reminding myself this is an experiment and I'm working towards something. It's the process. It's not, okay, I figured this out. Now I'm good. I can move on. And then the third stage in this emotional breakthrough is embrace. So we went from allowing and just observing to accepting, you know, like it's okay all of the ways that I'm showing up to embracing. And so here I recognize my urge to interject and push ideas came from my desire to do well. So there's another insight that came through this practice and to show that I cared about my work. And and with this new awareness, I was able to give myself grace in how I had been showing up. So right here where I'm embracing this, I'm kind of like giving myself some grace and forgiveness for all the ways I'd shown up until this point and all the ways I will show up that may or may not be in full alignment with how I want to be in the world as a leader and choosing new behaviors moving forward without regret or judgment required me to release any rumination, regret, judgment, uh, criticism about myself, lack of confidence for how I had been showing up. So you remember in the mental contemplation example, I shared that I started to work on this because I was getting feedback from other people and I was hearing from the Enneagram. There were these external sources of me going to work on changing this behavior. And when I started to change it and started to see, oh, fuck, this isn't how I want to show up. This isn't how I want to engage with other humans. This isn't what is an effective leader. I don't want to be known for these things. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, seen this way. I don't want to have this impact on other people. When you start to actually see yourself do it and realize you had been doing it, there is a process of like, you could get really stuck there in your pain and your suffering. You could get really attached to, I can't believe I showed up that way all this time. I really regret that. I really wish I hadn't shown up that way. I didn't have the skills for how to show up differently. And you can really be harsh on yourself and judge here. And this embracing is not only creating the space for you to not be perfect in how you show up moving forward, but it's also embracing loving all of the versions, all of the ways that you've shown up in the past. And allow, accept, embrace allows you to honestly bring up that shadow from the subconscious, the fear that's been driving that shadow. It allows you to shine light on it, bring it into the light, love it, accept it, and not just accept it, but embrace it. Embrace it because there's also beauty in there. So one of the things that we tend to do when we try to change a behavior is we only see it as a negative. We only see it as something that's undesirable because we have been told or we see that it is undesirable. And what that does is it creates another form of shadow in us that we try to repress something or hide it or we think it's not lovable in the world, which is how we create these defense mechanisms and protections and you know fear patterns to start with. But if we can embrace and have unconditional love and shine light on these areas and see the beauty inside of them, the gifts that live inside of these patterns and behaviors and these levels of consciousness can actually emerge from the shadow. And in this case, like being direct, being able to make decisions, 
being able to lead people toward a direction, those are actually using my voice confidently. Those are actually gorgeous things to have as a leader. And we can very easily in trying to change our behaviors, neglect or hide those behaviors that we have been told are holding us back or that we see are holding us back. And we then throw those in the waste paper basket and take on new ones. But I think the point here with emotional contemplation is to allow those behaviors to heal because there are beautiful diamonds. There are gifts inside of those behaviors that we have tried to dim, suppress, hide, ignore There's just the healthy and the unhealthy version of them. So the unhealthy version of me being so controlling and dominant and like confrontational is that it doesn't create space for other people to contribute. It doesn't show that I value them. But if I look at the healthy version of this through embracing all of the parts of it and working with all those parts without judgment or regret or resentment with forgiveness then I get to see the beauty, the amazing parts of the amazing gifts that live within those behaviors and patterns of being decisive, of being a natural leader, of sharing my voice confidently. And so I don't get to just throw all of it away under lock and key. I get to allow the unhealthy bits to come to the surface, to be healed to no longer cause me pain or suffering, to no longer cause default protective reactions in my behaviors. And I get to work with and embody the beautiful gifts that arise out of them. So that's really what's possible with emotional contemplation. And let's dive a little bit more into this. So the technique here is pivoting. The confirmation is breakthrough. What this work does is it deepens the work that we've started through mental contemplation and creates more core stability. We no longer are a victim of our emotional state. When we begin to create more inner spaciousness and we have more awareness and observation of what's going on inside of ourselves, we can actually start to do the work of examining the emotions, what's causing them, where they're coming from, and not be a victim to our emotions. So they get to exist in all of their glory with us. They don't have to drive our behavior. They don't have to limit our possibilities for responding to the world. And certainly our fear-based emotions do not have to be in charge of how we show up and the loving heart-centered leadership that we create in the world. When we create more space around our emotions and stay centered, it allows us to bring those shadows into the light to transform them And they no longer, once we embrace them over time and shine light on them, the gifts emerge, they no longer cause us pain or triggers. This is the fucking work. This is the work. When we create boundaries with other people that distance us, when we ask others to change their behavior so that they don't trigger us or cause us pain, this is avoiding emotional contemplation work. This is your work. This is not for anyone else. Please, please, please do the work. Allow the shadows to rise. Accept and love them. Love yourself. Reparent yourself and transform your shadows so that you can release the pain, release the triggering that's happening in your life. And these things become so much easier to deal with. 
we use this technique of pivoting. So in mental contemplation, we use the technique of pause to create space for insights to come through. In emotional contemplation, we use the technique of pivoting, which emerges from a pause. We need the pause in order to actually do the pivot, okay? Pivoting helps us catch our shadow patterns in action. We get to observe them as they're happening, embrace them, allow them, accept them, and actually disarm our triggers. And when we do this over time, um, contemplation moves from being a mental exercise to the world of taking action. This is when we go from like seeing something and having an insight about it to actually changing our behavior in the moment. Pivoting has a huge impact on our relationships. And it really, really, really arises. I'm sure as you are very well (laughs) acquainted, our relationships are our biggest triggers. They're also our biggest opportunity for healing, for embracing all of our shadows, and for wholeness overall. And pivoting really allows us to have more empathy and patience for ourselves, which then allows us to actually extend that more to others in our relationships. It creates more increased relaxation So here, again, we're pointing to nervous system regulation and our ability for our like actual beings and bodies and physiological systems to be relaxed in the moment. We're not haywire because we're surfing on a crazy emotion and allows a lot more open and honest communication because when we can actually pause and see what's behind, we have more acceptance for ourselves. We can, again, extend that to others and we can be a lot more open about how we're feeling in the moment and choose differently. The confirmation here that comes out of pivoting is called breakthrough. And as I mentioned, there are those three stages. So I'll summarize now. Allow, which is really about allowing your feelings without judgment taking an honest look at your feelings and what's rising in your body as a result. Accept is the second stage. This is where we get used to the discomfort. We face the pain. I'm not talking about physical pain here. I'm talking about psychic pain here. I'm talking about emotional pain. We face the pain and the discomfort and we face it with love and understanding, forgiveness and acceptance, and we create space for it, and we get very practiced at allowing it to exist in our bodies and recognizing that there is nothing to be afraid of. You can hold emotions in your body. You can process emotions. You can sit in discomfort. You can. It is safe to do these things. And finally, the third stage is embrace. When an emotional shadow pattern has been fully accepted It can be purged from your system. So shadows become your superpowers. This is when your pain reveals its higher purpose to you. This is when we start to see the beautiful gifts out of our shadow reactive patterns, like I was talking about earlier. So key takeaways here from emotional contemplation. Moving from pausing and insight in mental contemplation to pivoting and breakthrough in emotional contemplation allows us to expand our field of possible choices for how we see the world, how we show up in the world, how we behave in the world, and what we create in the world. And we can literally pivot or change our direction. Your shadows contain superpowers. Your pain has a purpose. 
and your triggers can be transformed into treasures. Your triggers can be transformed into treasures. If you are willing to feel it all and allow your emotions to do what they do best, move you. Your emotions are designed to help you evolve. And when we stop evolving, it's death. (laughs) Okay? So let's pause here. Let's create an intentional pause. What's your experience with emotional contemplation? What's been coming up for you as I've been talking about this idea, sharing my own example? Where have you maybe practiced the art of pivoting? You know, you've experienced an emotion, but you've sat with it and you've noticed that you take a different choice or you, you create a different behavior in the world instead of being so reactive. Have you practiced at all in your life these concepts of allowing, of observing, of accepting, honestly, words and all, of embracing and finding the superpower in your shadows, of finding the purpose in your pain, of allowing all parts of you to exist? What impact has this created on your journey? How can you contemplate emotionally the concept that you decided to work with earlier? Now would be a great time to do some reflection on emotional contemplation. We are going to move into physical contemplation next. This is the third practice. And again, I'm going to share my story. I'll just do a quick recap if you're tuning back in at this point. Earlier in my career, I came across a really direct, declarative, overbearing behaviors that were no longer serving me as the leader I wanted to show up as. I worked with some feedback I had been receiving from peers, my Enneagram assessment results, and I I practiced mental and emotional contemplation to change how I showed up in life. And through a lot of this mental and emotional practice, I rewired my default pattern. I no longer felt compared to share first, to interrupt other people, to declare my way as the only way, or to share my ideas when it was unnecessary. And I have to say, it took a lot of practice to get there, but still to this day, there are very rare occasions where this takes over and it's because I'm not being present and I'm not, you know, resourcing myself properly. But 99% of the time, these behaviors aren't happening, which is astounding to me now. Through physical contemplation, which is the practice uh, or technique of merging, here's what my story continues. Inside of the spaciousness that I created through pausing, which as you remember is mental contemplation, and the choices opened up to me through pivoting, which was emotional contemplation, I was able to practice new ways of being and operating as a leader. This was definitely a period of trial and error. As I mentioned, it was a dance. I had operated from a state of protection mechanisms and ego for so long. I had no clear concept of who I was at the core underneath of this. So I didn't know what authentic was for me. And I certainly didn't know what being a conscious leader looked like to me, which was something that I had to learn and grow a concept for over time. And based on the feedback I received about being too direct and declarative, I started to practice and hone my skills as a facilitator 
until I was really good at holding space for other people. And this is when I, I start to go into the confirmation of physical contemplation, which is epiphany. So let me continue the story. You might guess that through this practice, what happened next? <laughs> you probably won't guess, actually. <laughs> the better I got at being a facilitator, of being the person that holds space without sharing my opinion and my views, which is what I actually went, went to practice, People started to give me feedback. They wanted to hear my views more, <laughs> which was like dumbfounding at the time. Here, I had spent all of my life doing nothing but sharing my views. And then I got feedback in my career. I was doing too much of that and not creating space for others. So then I get really good at creating space for others. And guess what? People want to hear my views. What the actual fuck? Like, what do I do with this? It was kind of absurd to receive this feedback and I kept receiving it. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> I thought I was doing the right thing here by swinging completely to the other side of the spectrum. And you, if you've been listening, might have guessed it. I was not relying on the beautiful gifts that had emerged from my shadows before. I had just moved into a totally different new way of practicing being in the world. This is what we always do as humans when we attempt to change. We swing in the total opposite direction. We're like, okay, this is not it. So I'm going to go clear over here and be the total opposite end of the spectrum in how I show up. But when I started to practice that and get good at that and holding space, I received this crazy feedback, which was, we love how well you hold space. You're so good at this, but we want to hear more from you. What do you think? What's your opinion? What is your experience? And I'm like, what the heck? So what I started to notice is that the more I practiced, I was really good at being the declarative bossy overbearing me, right? That show is shared with confidence. And I then got really good at being the space holder that didn't have an agenda or any opinions or views that just wanted to create the space for other people to have theirs emerge from. So I got really good at both of these things. And then I started to recognize through, again, more feedback from my environment, other people, that perhaps there was a spectrum in between these two points of behavior that I needed to play with, experiment. Again, here I am experimenting with how to show up. And the more I practiced here, the more I started to notice I was able to embody what I call a happy medium of sharing my ideas and holding space for collaboration. That was authentic for me, which became clearer over practice and time what that meant to be authentic for me, and it allowed me to collaborate effectively and be an effective leader. So here's what happened. I grew my capacity to adjust and leverage along that spectrum of facilitator with no opinion and super overbearing, declarative, forceful person only with opinions. I was allowed in any given moment or allowed, I was able in any given moment, presentation, meeting to show up and to dance with, to experiment with, to use and lever up or down different aspects of these skills along this spectrum 
to best serve the needs of the group and the situation and the work and myself. And achieving this ability allowed me to release the need to prove my value through my contribution. Because at first, I was trying to prove my value through having all the ideas, through being the decision maker, through being the leader, through setting the direction, through having the best ideas. And then I was trying to prove my value by throwing myself on the sword of just holding the space, being this pure vessel and allowing others to spring forth with their brilliant ideas. And I was there holding that container. That was my value. And I was in service to them. And I honestly, in dancing along this spectrum at any given moment of being flexible here and being able to embody all of these attributes was able to release the need to prove my value in either way. Because what happened was that my contribution, my highest contribution, became how I showed up. And the energy and presence that I now naturally could embody as a leader. I still, without an agenda, could decide and dance in that moment with how I needed to be. If I noticed that the team had lots of ideas but lacked direction, I could lever on that skill. If I noticed that the team wasn't inspired to come up with new ideas, I could hold space and inspire them to do that. And I could find a happy medium in between. And I didn't have to do any preparation for this at all. I didn't have to do any proving for this at all. When it became a natural expression of how I showed up. It was fully embodied, my ability to exist on this amazing spectrum of skills. And so this is merging, which is the technique of physical contemplation. Physical contemplation, again, springs forward out of the practices of mental and emotional contemplation, which we've discussed. It creates a clear, calm, physical presence in your body. It empties you out, returning you to the purity of your true being. So here's when we get to that core essence. Here's when we start to really feel the embodiment of our true authenticity in the moment. Here is when our higher self, our deconditioned self, actually gets to be present and be the one running the show inside of this human being vessel. Practice and embodiment create epigenetic changes in our DNA as well. When we start to rewire our patterns and we start to show up differently and process our emotions differently and have a different level of consciousness, we can actually flip on and off switches epigenetically in our DNA. We literally can rewire our entire physical body. It creates change on a cellular level. Have you ever noticed in life the difference between understanding something mentally understanding something in your body, and then naturally embodying something effortlessly. This is what I'm talking about. When concepts, you no longer have to think about the framework anymore. They are just inside of your body. You just naturally operate as this being. That is what merging is. That is what it is like to create change through contemplation on a cellular level. 
This requires conscious application of transformation in your life. It's not enough to just think and see new insights. It's not enough to just work on, of course it's enough. You understand what I'm saying, but it, please don't stop at just mental contemplation and getting new insights. Please don't stop the work and emotional contemplation and having breakthroughs. Please continue the practice and the dance until these changes and the endless possibilities for how you can show up in the world have naturally merged into your physical human being. This requires that you move deeper into life, into the world, toward yourself, into yourself, and toward other people. You need a lot of open space, a lot of inner spaciousness cultivated in order to practice the art of merging. And we have to empty ourselves out of who we have been in the past. So what's really required here is we no longer attach to a specific way of being in the world. I am not that facilitator. I am not that super direct leader. I am me. And I get to show up however I need to that best serves myself and others in the moment. And therefore, I require no ego, no proving, and no preparation for my contribution to the world. A new worldview emerges out of this physical contemplation and our soul, our higher self, gets to mature and really click into place and anchor into this physical human body being thing that we're in right now. Now, the paradox becomes this. Our individuality becomes more splendid and more humble as we merge, as we practice the art of merging. To me, how I interpret this is the more that we can strip away the protections, the egos, the default reactions and patterns and the conditioning, the fear that has had us show up a certain way and restricted our possibilities for who we are in the world and how we show up, the more that we can unlearn that, the more that we are grounded into the unique brilliance of our higher self, our soul, and what we came here in this body, in this unique ancestral lineage, in this unique time with the soul to be. And so our unique embodied purpose can spring forward more and more as we start to merge with these new ways of being and our cells change. As I mentioned, we literally have a different beingness as a result of physical contemplation. And we individually shine. The point here is not that we all become everything, although we are everything. The point here is that we can embody being everything, not being separate from anything, while also having this amazingly brilliant, glorious, individualized, unique essence and differentiation in our earthly experience because we need that diversity in the world. It's just like a different facet of the beautiful crystal that is the oneness that we're a part of. Practicing merging and physical contemplation really requires generosity, grace, and gentleness. And as a result of merging, we have the confirmation of epiphany. This is when our hearts melt and everything becomes heart-centered. This is beautiful. 
pause for a moment here and consider, have you ever felt this feeling where you have this sense of lightness, a sense of humor, of perspective through the practice that you're working with? It's okay if you haven't, but maybe you have. And if you have, I want you to tap into this feeling and try to remember where did it came, where did it come from? What inspired it? What were you doing? What was surrounding you? Were there other people involved? Like what had you show up this way? It might be a state of flow that you experience. It might be a moment where you were standing in nature and you just have like a total jaw dropping moment of awe and wonder at the surroundings that you were a part of. It's like everything melts and you remember the core of everything is love. And you can actually physically feel this. You have this transcendent feeling in your body. Maybe it's a buzzing. Maybe it's like a swelling up in your heart. Maybe there's a spilling over of tears. Whatever this is, this is epiphany. And our our self-concept here is very loosely held. We don't attach to a certain identity. And our capacity for showing up in service, our selflessness, by just how we be in the world, how we show up, expands. And the beauty here, as I've been touching on, is that we are simultaneously more uniquely expressed and collectively in service than we've ever experienced or felt before. And this practice of physical contemplation, this merging and epiphany, helps us create a reality that is one unlike we've experienced, where we have a life without fear or doubt. So here are some key takeaways, because this is like a, a, a much more intangible concept than some of the others. We need practice. The more we practice mental contemplation and emotional contemplation, the more we open the door for the beautiful divine gifts to emerge from physical contemplation. And that merging and that epiphany to take place and that remembrance that we are really anchored in and connected into something much bigger than ourselves, that we are such a beautiful, unique expression of it in the world, in this physical human being. And that through emerging and epiphany, we can see ourselves, our souls, and the actual universe and world a lot more clearly. We can see through this illusion and this distortion. And this merging is a means for really engaging deeply and honestly with ourselves, others, and the world around us. So pause now and think about this. Do you have a practice for physical contemplation? Do you have a practice for really embodying new ways of being, new behaviors, new perspectives of how you see the world? Have you ever unknowingly practiced or had an experience of merging? of this real natural embodiment? Have you ever created this space and had a moment of epiphany? And what impact has that had on you and how you see yourself in the world, how you engage, how you show up in service? I am going to pause now. And this this, this will be the final pause. This is the end of this episode, episodes. I'm not sure entirely how I'm going (laughs) to break it up and use it now. Sharing my experience with the art of contemplation and the practices of contemplation has definitely been a journey here with you. It's been a journey in my life 
this is something that I'm now, I, I feel I have merged with these skills, honestly, and these abilities that it just really comes through naturally. So if you're feeling like you're struggling with a particular concept, I have some recommendations. One, go get the book, The Art of Contemplation, because it's so simple, so <laughs> brief, so <laughs> easy to consume and read. And it really articulates what I have shared with you in such a concise manner. So go check that out. It's a brilliant book by Richard Rudd. Two, feel free to reach out to me. I want to hear from you. DM me on Instagram or send me an email. I'm sure you can discover that online somewhere. I want to hear about your practice. I want to continue this conversation. I absolutely love talking about things like this as you might be aware of now. <laughs> Not sure how to end these podcasts, but I have really, really enjoyed sharing my experiences and perspectives with you. And I hope that this was helpful in your own journey. Maybe even just this podcast provides you a lot of fodder for contemplation itself. And I hope that it leaves you with a new way of seeing possibilities in the world and in your life. And you can get closer and closer in the practice of anchoring in your higher self to this glorious machinery of your human being. Because, man, there's a lot of work to do, but we're on a really solid purpose and mission here to anchor in some new consciousness, new energies, new ways of being on this planet. And just by listening to this podcast, you are a part of that work. And you deserve to be supported in that work. And I'm here to help you with that. Thank you so much for listening.